This is the Latter-day Strength Podcast, where we turn our weak faith into strength, the kind of strength that allows us to behold miracles, manifestations, and even the Lord. That's right. Our goal is to take the straight and narrow path, the one that leads to the tree of life, the love of God, where we can sit and partake and abide in the love of the Savior forever. So this is episode 13. I'm your host, Steve Baer, and today we are talking about the first principles of the first principle. So we know that the first principle of the gospel is faith, but we can break down faith into some component parts. From Ether 12.6, we know that faith is great and marvelous things that are hoped for and not seen. From Moroni 7.41, we have the question, what is it that you shall hope for? From Alma 32.21, it says, Therefore, if ye have faith, ye hope for things which are not seen, which are true. And from Hebrews 11.1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. A rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I think it's safe to say that faith is to hope for great and marvelous things in your life, which the Lord is willing to give to you, yet you have not seen them yet. Faith centered on Jesus Christ allows us to recognize that all these great and marvelous things happen because of him not because of our obedience, our attendance, our membership, our check marks, nor our heritage. Faith is to hope for great and marvelous things that Jesus Christ provides. Great and marvelous things which we have not yet seen, but which are true. Faith is hoping for things which we have evidence of, knowing that God rewards us for diligently seeking Him, and by seeking Him, I mean seeking his face. From Doctrine and Covenants 93.1, it says, It shall come to pass that every soul who forsaketh his sins and cometh unto me and calleth on my name and obeyeth my voice and keepeth my commandments shall see my face and know that I am. So what would cause us to start hoping for great and marvelous things in our life? What would cause us to forsake our sins, come unto him, call on his name, obey his voice, and keep his commandments so that we can see his face and know that he is? For example, if everything is just rolling swimmingly for us, what would cause us to hope for anything more from the Lord? If we have all the security, the wealth, the health, the happiness, the prestige, and comfort in the world— What would cause us to even begin to exercise faith for great and marvelous things? Especially if we are experiencing our own great and marvelous bank accounts, family vacations, worldly success, and elite level health. We're going to study faith by looking at Alma 32. And actually, we're going to end up spending the next three episodes in this chapter. So buckle up. But there are two key components of faith that are spoken of by Alma and Amulek when they are preaching to the Zoramites, particularly to the poor and humble among them. 
Those two components are one, lowliness of heart, and two, desire. So let's spend a little time on the lowliness of heart concept. And in the next episode, we'll talk about desire. So I chose the phrase lowliness of heart because it's found in Moroni chapter 7, which we've already studied. But the other reason I chose that phrase is because I didn't want to use the cliche word of humility. It's easy to tune out certain words. Humility is used a lot in our language as Latter-day Saints, but lowliness of heart is not. So I try to use non-cliche statements as much as possible. Anyway, Alma uses a number of phrases to describe humility or lowliness of heart by describing the situation of his audience. So here are some of them. He calls them the poor class of people, they who were cast out, poor in heart, despised of all men because of their poverty. They had worked on behalf of the priests or those in power and prominence. Their afflictions had humbled them. They were prepared to hear the word of God. Those who were truly penitent, lowly in heart, their poverty has brought them to a lowliness of heart. They don't require a sign to believe. They don't require perfect knowledge to act. They've been compelled to be humble. And some, uh, uh, some of them would humble themselves no matter the situation they were in, or in other words, not be compelled to be humble. So all of these statements from Alma can be summed up in one phrase, broken heart, contrite spirit. That's the first principle of the first principle of faith, to be meek and lowly in heart, or as the Lord describes it in 3 Nephi 9, when his voice is heard from the heavens, in verse 20, and you shall offer for a sacrifice unto me a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And whoso cometh unto me with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, him will I baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost, even as the Lamanites, because of their faith in me at the time of their conversion, were baptized with fire and with the Holy Ghost, and they knew it not. So in order to exercise faith, there must be humility, meekness, a broken heart, and a contrite spirit, or a lowliness of heart, all synonyms. If we have everything we could possibly need from the Lord, however, there's no need to bow down in humility and ask for more. So that's the first principle of the first principle of faith. Now let's go to the second principle real quick. Alma 32, 27. But behold... If ye will awake and arouse your faculties, even to an experiment upon my words, and exercise a particle of faith, yea, even if ye can no more than desire to believe, let this desire work in you, even until ye believe in a manner that ye can give place for a portion of my words. That's the second principle. Desire to believe. So do you even want to believe? This theme came up a lot on my mission in Venezuela. The nature of my mission was such that we could teach 30 first discussions a week. Generally, people were kind and accommodating enough to receive us missionaries into their home when we asked, may we share a brief message with you? 
As I reflect back on those experiences, there were times when we would sit down with these folks and they'd get the glazed over look and just look, let us share the message, but wouldn't engage in any way with us. They wouldn't ask questions, wouldn't look interested or sound interested. Now, because of the rules of the mission and the metrics established by our mission president, we looked at these moments as simple, let's just log that as a first discussion kind of thing. And without knowing at that time the phrase, it's just a numbers game for sales, we simply provided the discussion, made an invitation, asked someone to read a short pamphlet, and asked if we could come back and visit with them again. The answer we received a lot was a, como no, which means in English, why not? It was a very ambivalent and non-committal answer. Only rarely did we misjudge someone's interest level in the message when they would say, como no. (laughs) But we had enough experience to know that most people who received us and had that polite but not interested demeanor would not do anything with the information we shared. They wouldn't read the pamphlet and they would often just ghost us on any return contact attempts. In other words, there was no desire on their part to actually learn, investigate, figure out, etc., Now, given all my time in marketing and sales, I look back and think that I could have done things that might have increased their desire. In the words of one of my marketing mentors by the name of Russell Brunson, who happens to be a Latter-day Saint up in Boise, Idaho, there has to be a hook, a story, and an offer. Well, what does that mean? (laughs) Think about the ads that you pay attention to. There's generally a statement, a question, or a delivery method that hooks your attention. That makes you stop your scrolling and pay attention to the ad. These things are generally problem-based and something that is relevant to the person, but they can also be humor-based. Our typical hook was totally lame, which was basically something like, we're representatives of the Church of Jesus Christ and we have a message we'd like to share with you. Totally less effective, or in the words of the old, old missionary guide, menos eficaz. But every so often, we would encounter someone who genuinely wanted to talk to us. And that's when we completely went off script and just conversed like real human beings who had the spirit with us. That's when we asked questions about the person. That's when we shared a little bit about ourselves and our background. And that's when we could present the story that would resonate with them. The story of a boy who wanted to know what church to join, but more importantly, wanted to know that his life was on the right track, who wanted to know if he was accepted by God, who wanted to know if there was something more to religion than what he had been taught. So the people with whom this story resonated to the point that they would want to plant the seed and nurture and cultivate it were the ones that came to life with their own sense of wonder. They'd ask questions like, I wonder if there's something more for me. If God has a bigger purpose or plan for me, I wonder if there's something different that I should be doing. I wonder if God will place in front of me a different path to take. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm off course. So that's the humility part. And then there's the desire part. I'm willing to do life differently. I'm willing to change. I'm willing to get rid of some old habits and behaviors that are clearly not serving me. I'm willing to reevaluate things. I'm willing to cast aside my old traditions and habits. And I'm willing to receive something new from God. 
I want change. I want something different. I want happiness. I want greater joy and purpose. I want God to direct my life and tell me with greater clarity what I'm supposed to do. The beautiful part of serving a mission was working with people who had those two qualities. Humility, a meekness and lowliness of heart, and desire, a willingness to evaluate, consider, and change. So let's go into the application for you. Alma described qualities of the people who would be more likely to receive the seed. And there are 14 qualities. So I'm going to go through each one and ask some rhetorical questions for you to take inventory of your meekness and lowliness of heart. And by the way, just putting this together was such a great exercise for me. So once again, as I put these things out there for you, none of this is to do anything more than have you pause and consider and wonder how you can take your faith to the next level. So here goes. First one, they were the poor class of people. So how are you the poor class of people? What's the financial, monetary, or temporal need that you have? Number two, they were cast out. So how are you not accepted? How have you been excluded from something you wanted to be a part of? Or on an internal level, how do you reject elements of yourself, causing you to shame certain behaviors? Number three, poor in heart. How are you gullible? How are you easily manipulated? Are you willing to put your trust in God instead of in man? Number four, despised of all men because of their poverty. So how are you excluded because you can't afford to do certain things with certain people? Number five, they had worked on behalf of the priests or those in power and prominence. So how do your labors go to benefit large corporations and people in power? Are you, will, are you feeling like there's something you can do to escape from that? Their afflictions had humbled them. What struggles and trials have you had that have truly humbled you and caused you to reevaluate things? And number seven, they were prepared to hear the word of God. Are you prepared to receive the word of God in a way that you haven't before? Think about Joseph Smith and how he had received the word a certain way, but he bowed before the Lord with a desire to receive direction in a way that he wasn't even fully cognizant of. He just knew he wanted something more. Number eight, those who were truly penitent. Penitent means repentant. So how have your sins and mistakes caused you to really turn to the Lord for direction? Number nine, lowly in heart. Let's call this one a low self-esteem or a low esteem of your own worth and value. How have you seen your deficiencies and have they caused you to humble yourself and wonder if there's something different that you could be doing to improve? Number 10, your poverty has brought you to a lowliness of heart. How has your lack of wealth caused you to question your own value? 
And are you willing to let God show you your value? Number 11, you don't require a sign to believe. Are you willing to believe and show faith without having huge visions or manifestations? Yet can you also hope for great and marvelous things? Number 12, you don't require perfect knowledge to act. You don't require proof or certainty. You're willing to act on evidence without requiring a sign or direct manifestation. Compelled to be humble is number 13. The Lord doesn't need to make you listen through trials, struggles, and hard times. How have you made choices to change without being forced to do so? And which leads to number 14, some who humble themselves no matter what situation they are in. So are you willing to be someone who is humble or in other words, meek and lowly in heart, or in other words, have a broken heart and a contrite spirit, regardless of the situation you are in. Let's close on this thought. I believe our signs of humility should be shown to the Lord. Sometimes we conflate the Lord and the institutions that claim to bear his name. It's easy for someone to think, I pay my tithing, I magnify my callings, I do all the things Therefore, I am humble. But if we go back to that verse from 35 9 and look at 19 and 20, the Lord Himself says, And ye shall offer up unto me no more the shedding of blood, yea, your sacrifices and your burnt offerings shall be done away. For I will accept none of your sacrifices and your burnt offerings. And ye shall offer for a sacrifice unto me a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And whoso cometh unto me with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, him will I baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost. In the church, we have our own version of burnt offerings that we give. And we've all experienced blessings and benefits and general utility from offering them. The gospel life we aspire to live in the church provides immense value for us. It's a wonderful way to raise our children. It's a way to serve in the community, a way to worship with like-minded people, and it's also a path to personal growth. However, are we willing to take it to the next level and just offer to the Lord in a sacrifice our broken hearts, our contrite, repentant spirits? I love the talk given by Neil Maxwell many, many years ago where he simply says this, quote, The submission of one's will is really the only uniquely personal thing we have to place on God's altar. The many other things we give are actually the things he has already given or loaned to us, unquote. All the alms, burnt offerings, and things we tend to give in the church are the things that the Lord has already given us. But breaking our own hearts And bowing before him with a contrite and repentant spirit is where the magic really happens. I testify of the godliness of this principle, and I do so in my weakness. Amen. For if they humble themselves before me and have faith in me, then will I. Make weak things be.
comes true.